From KLCC Media, this is the Oregon Grapevine. I'm Barbara Dellenbach. The Oregon Grapevine highlights fresh-pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live. Nadia Telsey is one of the founders of the Women's Martial Arts Movement. She's a teacher of empowerment, self-defense. She has been for decades, has led trainings about racism, anti-Semitism, and Islamophobia, among other things. Thank you, Nadia, for being here on the Oregon Grapevine. Thank you. Let's just start with women's martial arts and what that is and differentiate that from other things. Well, I got involved in women's martial arts in New York City when I was the 12th woman in a class where the teacher said he would teach women if they could get 12. (laughs) And I did it as a favor to my friends and had no idea how much it was going to change my life. It was a very male-dominated sport, art. My teacher was sort of an outlier, and I was very lucky to have him. And at one point, there was conflict in the school because I had a women's class, and we were taking up space the men wanted. And then the men, including some of the women, attacked us as not taking martial arts seriously because we didn't do it militaristic style. We did it feminist style. We did it our way. And that class ended up becoming a school in Brooklyn, which still exists. I think it's 50 years old now. A lot of our work was fairly political, so we combined our martial arts work with um, support for women, mostly women of color, who were being prosecuted for fighting back. There were some very notable cases back in the 70s that we worked on. Certainly, I'm old enough to know that martial arts and just self-empowerment and self-defense, not exactly catchphrases, but they were definitely discussed at a time in our life and became not just something that you do in a dojo, but something that actually mattered. But it doesn't really have to do with when you're walking down the street, be careful and that sort of thing. What elucidated a little. Yeah, absolutely not. But the other thing that happened was as we were teaching self-defense, we noticed that traditional self-defense was extremely different. People would ask me, what style do you do? Meaning what karate style I did or what art I did. Well, that wasn't it. And it was all based on stranger assaults, stopping the assaults at the moment of physical altercation. They were often fear-based classes. um, And we broke with that. So we started creating um, empowerment self-defense, and I was a big part of that. So it was about understanding how assaults work um, and interrupting them at the earliest stages, understanding who the assailants were, because at the time we were told they were strangers, and we were, uh, the white women were told they were black men, and that did not sit right. <laughs> um, we also saw that the skills that you learned that were not only physical, but they were verbal and psychological and emotional, were valuable for the rest of your life, whether or not you were ever assaulted. Because the violence is really meant to take away our space and squash us and take away our voices um, so that if we speak up, we're called bitches. And if we don't speak up, we're blamed for not speaking up. 
And so trying to find our voices in a culture that told us that we needed to get approval all the time and we needed to abide by what girls and women were supposed to be, um, questioning that and breaking with that meant that we expanded women's lives. And now it's not just women, it's LGBTQI people. And within women, there were women with other identities, disabled women, people with mental disabilities. Um, it depended on class. It depended on race. It, it all intersected. And does it transfer over not just to walking down the street or not just to being assaulted in that way, but being assaulted in a corporate office? Absolutely. I mean, the Me Too movement was amazing because for years, the forces against us that blamed us also silenced us. And um, we can't make change with silence. And so the Me Too movement really broke that open. And it broke up with who the assailants are. Let's move to your book for a moment before we move on to kind of general topics and other things that you're so involved with. You have a book where you've put some of these things down. Why don't you, you hype that a little? Okay. So many years ago, I taught at the University of Oregon, and I created a workbook that I basically wrote for myself. So it addressed why I had been silent in certain situations, which led to tremendous self-blame and shame. And what that was about exactly, and how do I change it? And I used this book as an optional assignment with my students, and I asked them for anonymous feedback, and the feedback was this was life-changing. So fast forward many years, I'm not a promoter. So I, 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 you know, I would get requests for this book even from abroad, and I published it through Kinko's. <laughs> So finally, I have health issues, and 10 years ago or a little more, I was in Bethesda, Maryland at a clinical trial, and I met up with a colleague of mine who thinks very much as I do, and she's a writer, and I asked her if she would help me update the book, and it took another 10 years, but we finally did. So it is a book about what is gender-based violence, you know, what is it? How does it function systemically in society? What does it do? We give a lot of details about how assaults work and skills, skills and tools that we have. Um, and we address the shame and blame that impedes so many women's healing. It is so deep and so heartbreaking. And we make it very clear that no matter what anybody did, they did the best they could. And we make it clear that the responsibility for harassment and assault belong to those who perpetrate it. And the book's available around, it's around and available about. around all the local bookstores and, you know, online. And the title, before we move on? Is Get Empowered, A Practical Guide to Thrive, Heal, and Embrace Your Confidence in a Sexist World. Beyond that topic, which is huge, and we can get back to. There are other pieces of your life as an activist and other topics and other things that you that you care about and that you've also shared. If you would talk some about what's on your mind now and what you're, what you're working on and what you'd like to say. Well, racism has been important to me in dealing with racism since probably middle school. Um, when I saw what was going on with the water cannons and the dogs, 
during the civil rights era back then. And so it's been mostly woven into the work that I have done. Although I did start um, the local chapter of Surge showing up for racial justice in 2015. My role, it seems a lot of times, is to get the ball rolling on things and um, be there for a few years and then kind of move on. So that's been important to me. But during that whole time, all, over all these years, I did workshops on racism, and I also did workshops on anti-Semitism. And that's definitely, on, both of those are on my mind right now. And Islamophobia, just any kind of oppression. And then another thing that was very important to me is I'm a lesbian, and during Ballot Measure 9, which some people may remember and others don't know about, it was a very vicious anti-gay measure put out by the Oregon Citizens Alliance that split the town. Um, it was hideous. And a year after it ended or so, a, w a wonderful woman named Gail Lant approached me to be in a mediation. And as she <laughs> describes it, I pretty much booted her out the door. <laughs> like, you think I'm going to sit down with those people? Blah, 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 blah. She's very persistent. <laughs> Gail came back to me. And at that point, I had cooled down enough that I agreed to do it. It was a six-month mediation. Uh, we met every week, and then twice they took us someplace by van to southern Oregon so we couldn't escape. It was really hard, but it was absolutely and completely life-changing. In part, probably the topic, which I'd like you to get to, but also just the, the importance of sitting down not with the choir, as it were, and talking over topics. Absolutely. People you saw as your absolute enemy, um, not just yeah, not just people you slightly disagree with, but you saw them as your oppressor, your enemy. You in touch with any of them now? I am. Um, one of them that I got very close to, unfortunately, passed away. He was the head of the Evangelical Association <laughs> And if anybody had ever told me that I would become friends with someone like that, I would have said it was impossible. But I am in touch with Gail Lant, the leader, and I'm in touch with one other person who um, was in that group. Will you say what Surge is? You referred to Surge. And what is Surge and a little bit about the work they do? Sure. Surge is a national organization that was started um, in 2009 in the South when black people were saying to their white friends, you have work to do. We can't do it. You need to do it. So step up. This was after Obama was elected and racism was really on the rise. When we started our chapter, there were maybe 30 chapters now. I'm not sure what the number is, 150 pretty autonomous. Our chapter is somewhat different than other chapters and some of our approaches to things. But we basically deal with racism, a, a lot of internal education, public education, uh, getting involved in events, supporting groups. When you talk to people who are different than you are, which is, I guess, everybody's different than all of us, but when you talk to people who are who are who are very different, who are across party lines or who are across religious lines or any of those things. Certainly one thing is to say, here's the work you need to do. But is there more of a simple kind of conversation to have to someone who maybe they aren't ready really to do the work, but you, but something you can say that just, just to think a little bit about their perspective? 
So someone who has a different perspective. Yeah, someone who has a different perspective. And you're, and you're just kind of, you know they aren't going to take your workshop. They know right. you're not going to necessarily read your book. But just a little bit, what is a tip that we can give to people so that we don't get angry, so that we can say, no, wait a second, look at this. You know, what I learned in new community meeting was have, have a spirit of curiosity and stay compassionate. And that manifests through listening. Not listening where you're preparing your argument back, but listening to really understand with curiosity. It's not easy, and it doesn't mean you agree, but it gives people the chance to be heard. We all want to be heard. Once we're heard, then there's a chance for change. It's very easy, I think, in this day and age, we can use the Middle East as an example, to say, no, this side is right or that side is right, or this side is wrong. It's not that simple. No, it certainly isn't. And I think that what I learned at New Community Meeting has really informed my perspective on the Middle East. I started out in New York City as a Jew who was completely pro-Palestine. I saw nothing good that Israel did. Um, it was so black and white. I got to Oregon, it was no longer New York City, a different experience. I started understanding anti-Semitism, things I had known nothing about. And um, I see this tremendous black and white thinking with no curiosity about the other side or attempts to humanize or understand. It's not gonna get us anywhere, it's just not. And so I've been following the peace groups. These are peace groups who are over there, who have had their children killed. And they see that the only solution here is to listen to each other. And sometimes it takes a long time, sometimes it takes having a mediator, but to really understand the trauma of the other side and where the other side is coming from, especially when the media doesn't make it easy for both peoples. It blocks out a lot of really, really important information. Do you have some tips or some suggestions for people to kind of start getting that information to get a, a more holistic understanding? I think there's some groups that are really worth listening to, and they've been putting things online. One is Standing Together, and you can find videos of their presentations. Another one is Combatants for Peace. And these are both Palestinian and Israeli. And then another really powerful group is the Parents Circle. These are folks who've lost people to the conflict. And they did a recent webinar with Colin McCann, who wrote A Paragon, which was a book about the struggle. And uh, it, was, it was very profound, very worth listening to. What's giving you and has given you the inspiration to do the work you do and live the kind of life of diverse activism that you live? You know, I think I, I'm really a generalist with activism, and when I see something that needs to happen, I jump in and at least get it started, because if I don't see somebody else doing it, and it gives me purpose in life. I mean, that's been my purpose in life and my satisfaction in life. So when I know that I've made a change or I've touched somebody, and plenty of people have also touched me, I mean, that is a wonderful part of being human. Is there another topic here or another thought you're having that you want to bring up before we, before we kind of close? Have I, have I 
given you enough gist or do you have some or grist as it were that you want to make sure we talk about here Nadia well I think the only other thing is that um, one of the things I did under surge was create bystander upstander intervention trainings and I have backed off from those but there are people giving them in town and I think it's really important because what we see when people are harassed is we don't know what to do, so we say nothing. And that nothing translates to the person being victimized as agreement with the harasser. And so if we do nothing else at all, we need to go to the person being hurt and tell them, I'm sorry you didn't deserve that, I saw that. We don't necessarily need to get into it with the harasser. That's sometimes what I found from my own life is that satisfied my own needs and sometimes put the people I was trying to support in jeopardy because I'm mouthing off and maybe to police at the wrong time and putting them in jeopardy because I'm centering my own feelings of outrage. So if we can just get to the place where we make ourselves speak up to the person who's being hurt and at least do that. And you're not talking about just in police action. You're no, talking, so no, what, mostly what is, not. Can you give an example or two of if it's a workplace thing or whatever, sure. whatever it is? Um, there was a story about somebody who was in a store at a checkout line, and um, a white man jumped ahead of a woman. And I think she said something like, excuse me, sir, I was here first. And he said, use some really bad language about her identity. And basically told her to shut up and get in the back of the line. And she said something like, um, you don't need to speak to me that way. And his wife chimed up, we'll speak to you any way we want, or something to this effect. Nobody in the store spoke up. Nobody who worked there, none of the other customers, absolutely nobody. And she walked away devastated. And so the lesson is to, if you see it, try to figure out a calm way to right. participate. Right. The trainings are helpful because we do role plays and we talk about how to say things and give people practice, and that makes it, that makes it a lot easier. I'd like to go back to the beginning of our conversation before we close, which has to do with the difference, as it were, between martial arts and self-defense, which again goes back to kind of my age of growing up and hearing those terms and not necessarily delving into what that is. What's the difference? How, what is it's you know self-defense is not necessarily just learning judo. No, it's like what I said before. It's really understanding how assailants work, understanding ourselves, what our strengths are, and getting a toolkit together of things that we can do, knowing that no one has the right to tell us what we should or shouldn't have done, but getting some more tools, whether it's assertiveness, whether it's understanding the ploys that assailants use so we can be one step ahead of them, um, whether it's asserting ourselves at the first boundary break. The way assailants often work is they break, a they break a boundary, and it's very subtle. So if we accuse them of something, they make us feel really bad. But if we assert ourselves without accusations and stop them at that point, if we don't, they do one, they come a little closer and a little closer. This whole book was really motivated for me by an experience I had 
when I was not able to speak up. And I kept setting a line because I saw the boundary. And then I explained away every break that he made. Oh, he's trying to help me. Oh, he's trying this. Oh, what if I'm wrong? And then when something happened, I ended up in so much self-hate. I didn't even focus on what he did. And I did get around to it because I had a bunch of women friends and we had a confrontation and they helped me with it. But yeah, that, I mean, that really motivated the book. Thank you so much, Nadia Telsey, for being on the Oregon Grapevine and for the work you've done and for the perspective that you've given to so many people. Thank you very much. You've been listening to KLCC Media's The Oregon Grapevine, fresh pressed conversations with people who are actively and passionately creating the present and future in which they wish to live.